Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, April 17th, 2023. It's been 3,337 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 418 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Ukrainian forces have started to set conditions for an upcoming counteroffensive that will start in the next 11 to 25 days, dependent on the weather, which is uncooperative. Second, significant combat operations were only reported in the Bakhmut operational area, and it's unclear if this is due to weather, Russian combat strength being exhausted, ammunition shortages, a planned or unplanned operational pause, or an unofficial partial truce for Orthodox Easter weekend. Third, we believe a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 17th and April 22nd remains possible, but admittedly our confidence is dropping. The last large-scale precision missile attack was on March 9th. Fourth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fifth, We maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Ukraine's ability to hold defensive lines over the last week has not altered our assessment. Sixth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank guided missiles, or ATGMs. Seventh, We maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. And finally, Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension which is accelerating in the North Caucasus. One year ago yesterday, on April 16, 2022, in Mariupol, the city entered its 44th day surrounded by Russian forces. Moscow issued an ultimatum demanding unconditional surrender by April 17. Our team estimated that 2,500 defenders remained concentrated in the Azovstal metallurgical plant. Despite the tightening grip by Russian forces, fighting continued in the city center and east of the Azovstal complex. Russian Tu-22M3 strategic bombers dropped up to eight Fab 1500 bombs on the factory. 
Russian T-72 tanks were staged in the main port, and up to 95% of the city's residential buildings were damaged or destroyed. Russian and Chechen forces released several videos claiming new territorial gains in areas of the city they had controlled for weeks. Our team assessed, quote, the final battle for control of Mariupol has begun, end quote. Russian General Vladimir Frolov was killed in action in the Donbass, with his funeral reported by the Russian Ministry of Defense on April 15, 2022. In Severodonetsk, 110,000 of the city's population had fled due to constant shelling and encroaching Russian forces. Ukrainian officials reported 70% of the city's buildings had been damaged or destroyed, and water, electricity, and natural gas service had been knocked out. An armored column of Russian T-80 tanks was recorded advancing on Popazna, highlighting a new feature, cope cages, designed to counteract ATGMs. Our team also reported that, quote, Ukrainian forces have turned Marinka into a World War I fortress with trenches, bunkers, and tank traps, end quote. Russian claims that the city was captured on April 14th were untrue. A deputy of the People's Council of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Vladislav Berdichevsky, called for the complete destruction of Marinka and Krasnohorivka. In response to the sinking of the Moskva in the early morning hours of April 14th, the Ukrainian cities of Kyiv, Dnipro, Mykolaiv, Odessa, Poltava, Kharkiv, and Lviv were hit by Russian SRBMs and cruise missiles over a 48-hour period. In Izum, the Ukrainian general staff reported that Russian forces had amassed 22 battalion tactical groups for an offensive on Slovyansk and Kramatorsk. In Bucha, a third mass grave was found by investigators, containing 73 bodies. In Kharkiv, the facilities operated by the NGO World Central Kitchen were shelled, wounding four. Ukrainian President Zelensky reported that over 3,000 Ukrainian soldiers had been killed and more than 10,000 wounded in the first public acknowledgement of combat losses since February 24th. In the first sign that the Russian military was suffering significant losses of heavy equipment, a video showed a train moving 40 NK-55 Grad-1 MLRS launchers mounted on ZIL-131 trucks toward Ukraine. The ZIL-131 variants being transported were from the Soviet era. Our team prophetically concluded, quote, We maintain that Russia can overwhelm Ukrainian forces in the Donbass in a coordinated attack along all axes. We do not believe that Russia can hold the territorial gains, and unlike the siege of Kyiv and Cherniv, defeat will be a crushing blow for Russian ground forces. End quote. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The Dvorichna and Kupiansk operational areas were stable, with only mutual shelling reported. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Kremina operational area, Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported an attempted advance in the direction of Nevelsky. Wargonzo claimed the attempt failed. Further south, Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar reported that Russian troops made marginal gains south of Ploshanka, but we already have this area coded as under Russian control. Fighting was positional between squad and platoon-sized units, with minor defensive positions likely swapping control. 
Wargonzo reported a failed Russian advance in the forested regions west of Kremina in the direction of Torske. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian MOD reported continued fighting near Dibrova. Fighting continued in the Serebriansky woods, with a geolocated video indicating that Russian forces regained positions lost in early March through the use of TOS-1 thermobaric weapons and demining systems as an offensive weapon. Based on this intelligence, we moved the line of conflict west in the forested region south of Kremina and expanded the gray zone. The GSAFU also reported fighting, quote, north of Ryurivka in the Donetsk Oblast, which would indicate ongoing combat in the Serebriansky woods on the north bank of the Seversky Donetsk River. In the Lysychansk operational area, there was limited fighting near Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Orgonzo claimed Ukrainian forces went on the offensive and regained some territory in Little Bilohorivka near the chalk mine, without evidence. We did not adjust the map due to the lack of visual confirmation or a reliable second source. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces shelled Ukrainian positions at the Spirna gas compressor station and to the south and east, attempting to advance on the village. The attack failed, and Russian forces returned to their original defensive positions. In the Solidar operational area, in the Solidar operational area, the Russian MOD claimed Ukrainian forces went on the offensive towards Sakhovivenceti, but did not indicate the outcome. Russian airborne or VDV forces have taken over operations in the Solidar region from Wagner PMC. Heavy fighting continued in the Bakhmut operational area. We made some changes to the line of conflict in the central and southeastern parts of the city. We made some changes to the line of conflict in the central and southeastern parts of the city. The Russian MOD reported their forces completed 43 fire missions in the operational area, and the VKS and Army Aviation completed six ground attack sorties. This is a 30% drop in artillery fire missions compared to yesterday's already lower-than-average numbers. PMC Wagner and their affiliated channels made no new claims of territorial control. North of Bakhmut, the situation is unchanged. Russian VDV forces attempted to advance on Khomova without success. In the northern part of Bakhmut, no changes were made to the line of conflict. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, indicated artillery strikes continued in the area of Rose Alley, and Ukrainian forces still control school number 24. In the center of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner Telegram Channel Gray Zone reported heavy fighting continued in the areas of Railroad Station 1, Railroad Station 2, and the grain elevators with no change to the situation. Ukrainian forces and PMC Wagner traded control of the bus terminal on the edge of Verkhny Park. We moved the line of conflict south of the bus terminal to Kozmanovstov Street, but admittedly, this is without visual evidence, and our analyst team is caving to peer pressure that our assessment is too optimistic in this region. PMC Wagner mercenaries occasionally cross the railroad tracks and enter the western part of Bakhmut, particularly around railroad stations 1 and 2, but cannot maintain the positions. There is no update on the status of the state police station or the hotel transit. In the southern part of Bakhmut, 
A geolocated video showed that PMZ Wagner had reached Geolochiv Lane by advancing along the train tracks, breaching Korsunskoho Street by Avanhard Stadium. This may be the region the Russian MOD claimed was captured in its morning report, stating only that a quarter in the, quote, southeastern part of the city had been captured. West of Avanhard Stadium, Ukrainian forces hold defensive lines on Korsunskoho Street, south and east of schools 2 and 40, and the MiG-17 area, and the T-504 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, remains open. Russian VDV forces attempted to advance in the direction of Ivanivske and were unsuccessful. We maintain that the Kremlin has little motivation to expend its elite forces on offensive operations on the Ukrainian flanks, The Russian MOD is accelerating the destruction of PMC Wagner's combat strength by having the mercenaries run the most challenging part of offensive operations. Search and rescue operations in Slovyansk after the Orthodox Good Friday Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile strike has ended. Fifteen people were recovered alive from the rubble, including a 14-year-old girl. The attack left 15 dead and 24 wounded with most of the victims in an apartment building that was directly hit by one of the seven missiles fired on the city. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, operational tempo remained significantly lower due to mud and the Russian MOD redeploying ground forces, armor, and artillery to the Bakhmut operational area. Fighting continued along the H-20 highway between Novobakhmutivka and Novokalinova, with no change in the situation. Russian forces attempted a direct assault on Ukrainian defensive positions in Avdeyevka, again, which ended in failure, again. Fighting between ground forces and armored vehicles continued in the no-man's land between Vodyana and Sieverne, with no change in the situation. We changed the war map, advancing Russian forces to the north of Vodyana to some mining waste heaps. We couldn't validate which forces were being shelled in a video shared on social media and made the update out of an abundance of caution. Positional fighting on the eastern edge of Perevomaiske near the E-50 ring road continued. Fighting continued in the Marinka operational area, with Russian forces turning smaller pieces of rubble into dust along Druzhby Avenue. Officials with the self-declared Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, accused Ukraine of firing up to 20 Grad rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, into the central market and covered market area of the city, killing two on Orthodox Easter Eve. Officials were more careful not to share pictures of craters from the attack or other closer details, making analysis of the origin of the rockets impossible. This area was hit by mortars on April 7th, which we analyzed and concluded had likely been fired by Russian forces in the Spartak area. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Komunarsky district of the city of Zaporizhia, Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack destroyed a Russian Orthodox church in the early morning hours. The church was unoccupied, so there were no injuries, but the structure was completely destroyed. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP. 
In Russian-occupied Melitopol, authorities put up a large screen playing an address from Maxim Fomin, better known as Vladlin Tatarsky, who was assassinated in a St. Petersburg cafe owned by Yevgeny Prigozhin of Wagner Group on April 3rd. The video was recorded on Orthodox Easter last year, with Fomin declaring, quote, One day we will all die, and one day we will all be resurrected. This is good news. End quote. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported seven Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching eight caliber cruise missiles in total. The last large-scale missile attack on Ukraine was on March 9th. In Mykolaiv, the city of Snikhorivka was attacked twice on Easter. In the morning, S-300 anti-aircraft missiles were used for a ground attack, killing two teenagers and destroying multiple buildings. In the evening, the city was attacked again, with two schools, the hospital, the Palace of Culture, and residential buildings damaged. In western and central Ukraine, two people were injured in Nikopol in the Dnipropetrovsk region after Russian artillery shells hit a church during Easter services. One person was hospitalized and several homes in the area were damaged. On the Russian front in Bilgorod, Russian officials reported that Ukrainian drones targeted a power plant. A video showed a substation on fire, while a grainy security camera video showed the moment of the drone strike knocking out power to part of the city. In the Tula region, the Russian MOD deployed several anti-aircraft complexes after several incidents involving drones. Ukrainian officials have never claimed responsibility for three separate incidents, and Moscow never released any details. Russian state media agencies in the Kazan region reported a large explosion and fire near military training grounds. Russian state media agencies, Russian state media agencies in the Kazan region reported a large explosion and fire near military training grounds. Reportedly, an ammunition depot exploded. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The number of attacks launched by Russian forces has stabilized, after steadily declining from the start of March. Between March 1st and 10th, Russia launched an average of 118 ground attacks per day. By April 15th, the daily average dropped to 54. Some assessment? Our analyst team has noted that Russian commanders have returned to ad hoc attacks and troop deployments and deploying understrength units into frontline duty. Personnel shortages are becoming a growing issue theater-wide. As we assessed in June 2022, grunts with guns take territory, and grunts with guns hold that captured territory. Russian combat strength is further degraded due to a lack of armored vehicles, ATGM shortages, ammunition rationing, and low morale. We've also documented a significant increase in the number of pictures and videos of Russian POWs being taken into custody. There were no indications of maltreatment in the most recent videos from the Marinka, Bakhmut, and Avdivka operational areas. 
We can't assess if the increase is due to Russian forces seeking to surrender, undocumented, albeit small, Ukrainian advances overrunning Russian positions, or an increase in documentation as part of psychological operations. As a policy, we only link to videos of POWs who we believe are in imminent danger being subjected to war crimes or are part of a prisoner of war exchange. Colonel General and aspiring dentist Ramzan Don Don Kadyrov criticized five Chechen soldiers recently returning in a POW exchange, stating they have to prove their loyalty by immediately returning to the front. The Chechen leader, increasingly under pressure due to growing unrest in the North Caucasus, hinted that Russian forces were suffering from ammunition shortages, saying, quote, Of course, captivity is not a crime. I understand it. And we are glad that the soldiers are alive. An hour before they were captured, they communicated by radio and reported running out of ammunition. But every warrior should not just shoot chaotically, but think about every shot and save every round. I realize that this is also my fault, that they were not sufficiently prepared for such a situation and did not fully understand that a soldier must plan his ammunition. End quote. Quick sidebar. Does that careful planning include all those TikTok videos in 2022? Twice convicted pedophile Scott Ritter told Russia Today through the redacted YouTube channel that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be killed by his own people, quote, since he became the embodiment of the total collapse of Ukrainian society that is now observed, end quote. Some assessment? We were surprised to see Ritter on Russia Today, as his clout diminished in the Russian Federation after it was revealed that he is a convicted sex offender. PMZ Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin is pushing harder for a peace deal with Ukraine in the information space, where everything the master of propaganda does is done with a purpose. Prigozhin had suggested that Moscow needed to declare the special military operation over and accept that the Kremlin would annex the regions of Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson that they currently occupy as mission accomplished, saying, quote, The ideal option is to announce the end of the special military operation, to inform everyone that Russia has achieved the results that it planned. Theoretically, Russia has already received this fat point by destroying a large part of the active male population of Ukraine and by intimidating another part of it, which fled to Europe. End quote. Some assessment. This is a significant shift in position from February 3rd, when Prigozhin mocked Ukrainian President Zelensky to fight for Bakhmut to the last. We had assessed on February 3rd that Prigozhin's comments would age like room-temperature milk on a kitchen counter, and, unlike his words, our assessment has aged pretty well. We're frequently asked to give our estimates for Russian and Ukrainian casualties since February 24, 2022, and we've documented why this task is a fool's errand, and it's unlikely that Russia or Ukraine have an exact count for their respective losses. Reporters asked Ukrainian Defense Minister Oleksiy Reznikov to provide a number regarding the death toll of soldiers of the armed forces of Ukraine, with him responding, quote, I can't give you a figure, but I can assure you that the total number is less than the death toll from the earthquake in Turkey, end quote. If we take that claim at face value, total Ukrainian KIA numbers would be below 51,000. We have absolutely no way to confirm the veracity of his statement. 
Italy transferred a new batch of NATO standard M109L 155mm self-propelled howitzers to Ukraine. The total number was not reported, but is claimed to be in, quote, the dozens. More assessment. We've also been asked repeatedly to provide our analysis on the intelligence leak of Pentagon-classified information. We have maintained it would be unethical as journalists to put this information or our assessment into the public information space. The first pillar of ethical journalism is to minimize harm. We know that one of the claims in the intelligence documents and in the public information space is that Ukraine is suffering from significant ammunition shortages. We can't verify these claims, but it's unlikely that nations like Italy and Denmark would be sending dozens of SPGs as quickly as possible with no available ammunition to fire. In another sign that Ukraine is setting conditions for a major offensive, the Molfar Open Source Analyst Group concluded that Russia has lost a billion dollars worth of electronic warfare equipment, not including smaller systems such as handheld anti-drone devices. There has been a spike in the suppression and destruction of Russia's electronic warfare capabilities before each counteroffensive, but March 2023 exceeded March and September 2022 combined. Since March 1st, 34 Russian electronic warfare and radar systems have been destroyed, and another 10 during the first two weeks of April. This represents one-third of all electronic warfare and radar systems destroyed since February 24, 2022. Canada will send a Russian AN-124 transport plane to Ukraine that was confiscated due to international sanctions, according to the Prime Minister of Ukraine. Russian mill bloggers called the transfer theft, perhaps typing out their social media protests while flying home from Orthodox Easter visits on one of the hundreds of stolen Boeing and Airbus aircraft currently operated by Russian airlines. Speaking of international sanctions, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and Mir. On Saturday night, we published an investigative report on Google News about Russian propagandist Sarah Bills, better known as Donbas Devushka. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal published hours after our expose, Bills confirmed that she was the person behind the Telegram and Twitter empire, which allegedly has grown to 15 people. Bills is, at the minimum, facing increasing scrutiny for possible FARA violations, Russian sanctions violations, and her connection to doctored versions of the secret and top-secret documents leaked originally on the Thugshaker Central Discord server. A spokesman for the Pentagon, Brigadier General Pat Ryder, said that what role Bills played in the critical classified document link and possible connections to anti-government figures are, quote, subject to the Justice Department's scrutiny, end quote. A quick sidebar. While our story has gotten significant attention and was quoted by Business Insider with attribution, we've been incredibly disappointed to see numerous publications, including Ukrainian Pravda, The Insider, Nexta, and The Telegraph, plagiarizing our work. We understand that the Wall Street Journal and our team were working in parallel and unaware of each other's efforts. Still, the truth matters. The truth is, our team worked hard over the weekend to expand on the tremendous open-source intelligence work that was done to find the truth, which included old-school gumshoe journalism and an all-night editorial session to get to press. To have that work taken from us is 
a bit of a bummer. In a sign that the relationship between PMC Wagner and the Kremlin is being restored, a representative of the mercenary company claimed that PMC Wagner is conducting training of Mobics who were transferred to PMC Wolf and are under their command. The claims were first made on April 8th, and we reported that 170 Mobics in Kadyevka were forcibly transferred to the PMC. While Wagner and Wolves claim these were willing transfers, 112 of the April 8th Mobics appealed for help, claiming they were coerced and tricked into joining after their military IDs were confiscated. Some assessment? While it's unclear if the Kremlin supports these transfers, there has been no action taken by the Russian MOD to stop this scheme to replenish the dwindling ranks of PMC Wagner. As we had previously assessed, starting on May 1st, when thousands of penal unit mercenaries start reaching the end of their contracts, Wagner Group will have growing staffing issues. On April 14th, Russian President Vladimir Putin signed electronic and text subpoenas for military conscription into law. On the same day, he also signed a decree moving occupied Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson to the Moscow time zone. The Russian 239th Guards Tank Regiment, part of the 90th Guards Tank Division, received donated military aid, including uniforms and boots, food, and first aid. Multiple Russian units have started appealing to supporters for the most basic needs. Pictures and video showed two B-16 Nona K 120mm towed mortars being transferred by train in the direction of Ukraine. Brought into service in 1981, the Russian Federation has up to 119 serviceable units available. Ukraine claims to have destroyed one in 2022, and another four were reportedly captured. The towed artillery piece is based on the S-29 Nona air-droppable self-propelled mortar. The system has a range of up to 12.8 kilometers using extended-range mortars and 8.8 kilometers with conventional munitions. Russian State Duma Deputy Oleg Matvichev said that our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov-Girkin should be in prison for, quote, discrediting the Russian military. As we predicted on Friday, this was not well received in the self-declared Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR. Separatist Pavel Gubaryev wrote on his telegram that if the Kremlin came after Girkin, Frontline soldiers would tear Matvichev to pieces. That's nice. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is only minor graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The Kremlin has been somewhat quiet on what they got in exchange for the 130 Ukrainian POWs released on April 15th, but it appears it was another uneven transfer. PMC Wagner claims 30 to 40 Russian-aligned soldiers and mercenaries were returned without explanation for the large difference. Prigozhin claims he orchestrated the release independent of the Kremlin as a show of goodwill on Orthodox Easter. However, some of the Ukrainian soldiers released came from areas where PMC Wagner has had a limited or no presence, and the show of so-called goodwill comes just days after a video emerged of a Ukrainian POW being tortured to death 
by slow decapitation. In geopolitical news, an Iranian court sentenced 10 former Air Defense Service members to 1 to 13 years in prison due to their involvement in the accidental shooting down of Ukrainian flight PS-752 on January 8, 2020. The aircraft was flying between Tehran and Kyiv when the Air Defense Unit mistook the civil airliner for an American cruise missile. All 176 people were killed after the Boeing 737 was hit by two air defense missiles three minutes after takeoff. President Putin and Chinese Minister of Defense Li Shanfu met in Moscow. There was no readout about the meeting. Li is under United States sanctions for cooperating with the Russian Federation. There remains no concrete evidence that China is providing lethal aid to Russia and our assessment that China can continue to provide all the poor-quality truck tires and spalling body armor it has, still stands. In economic news, Hungary and Poland announced a ban on agricultural products from Ukraine after growing protests from local farmers about depressed prices due to increased supply. Poland was widely expected to announce a ban on Ukrainian grain and cereal products, but it extended to dozens of other items. Kyiv struck a balanced tone, stating it was, quote, disappointed. The European Commission took a stronger position and called the embargo, quote, unacceptable. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.